Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And as we finish out February and, uh, you know, later on we'll be finishing out the show, let me give you a little preview of what's coming up. For our inbox, we have a listener who wants some clarity on the difference between normal sexual desire and lust. So one of our counselors is going to be here, uh, hopefully, to provide some helpful insights on that. And then for our culture segment, J.P. Pakluda is back uh, to discuss his new book, Outdated. And yes, it is on dating uh, from a biblical construct. So, you know, we love talking about that here at Boundless. So he's going to give some great wisdom there. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, we thought it would be a good time. You know, from time to time, we like addressing um, issues of sexuality and gender and clearly what's going on in the culture and what's going on in the church. And so we're going to have a conversation uh, today on same-sex attraction. And I have got Jeff, Loanne, and Glenn here. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey. Hi, Lisa. Well, hey, it's good to have you. And, uh, you know, we are... Now in a new year, um, we made it through the insanity of, of last year where we wrestled with everything from cancel culture to racism to an election that you know we're still seeing the fallout from. And there's a lot going on in our culture that um, you know we, we have to contend with. There are people on different sides of a number of different issues, and the whole issue of uh, same-sex attraction that plays into same-sex marriage is one of those. And I want to approach this because all of you have really unique perspectives on this because we know, I mean, there are there are people listening right now to this show who struggle with same-sex attraction. There are, We probably have uh, individuals listening right now who identify as gay or may identify as, as transgender, um, who maybe don't know if they should, or maybe they're wrestling with feelings, maybe they are dealing with stuff, uh, you know, residual from their upbringing in the church. And they're kind of like, well, is this legit? What does the Bible say about this? And I want to definitely get uh, your perspectives on this. And I want to start out with you, Jeff, um, because you, for years, struggled with homosexuality. Uh, You had uh, relationships, I think, a few relationships with with men or, or kind of were in that world. And this was part of your story. And Tell us a little bit about, because again, we, we just throw out the term like same-sex attraction, like either you have it or you don't, or maybe you do or you don't know. I mean, but it's a very real thing. And, and talk to us about your own experience in light of the fact that, you know, you probably had family members, you had friends that you were trying to figure out how you describe what you were going through at the, at the time. Tell us what that was like. Well... Um, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so it really was quite different from the way things are today. Uh, Grew up in a very, very conservative church, you know, was at church three times a week, twice on Sundays and Wednesdays, and maybe for choir practice and youth group as well. Um, So surrounded by that, and our church really emphasized learning the Bible and memorizing scripture and understanding what the Bible says. And so I grew up in that environment, but in my early teens, I began to struggle with pornography. And um, I was terrified when my attractions in looking at pornography turned towards looking at men. And like any good Christian kid back in the 70s, I squashed 
those thoughts and feelings as best as I could, and I did not talk to anyone about them. Um, it wasn't, you know, an environment where you could stand up at the Wednesday afternoon prayer meeting and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Um, so I, I hid that for a lot of years. I finally told a couple people in my late teens, early 20s, and they responded very well. I remember speaking with one woman who was a counselor, and she talked about developing my sense of masculinity. And I didn't even know what that meant. Um, this is the early 80s now. So I just, you know, struggled along trying to suppress these thoughts and feelings. And I was working with a youth group at a big church in San Diego. And the youth pastor invited me to a conference called Hope and Healing for the Homosexual. And I was terrified when he asked me. I thought, oh, my goodness, he knows. God told him. And I didn't even believe at that point that God told people stuff. So, um, yeah, it was very scary. And um, I went to this conference, and it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone talk about leaving homosexuality. The speaker was Andy Comiskey, who has had a ministry for 30-some years to people leaving homosexuality. And it was also the first time I heard someone talk about, um, hey, there might be some reasons, some influencing factors it's, you know, it's not cause and effect, but there are things that happen to us that influence us in certain ways. Um, so I looked at some of the things he said, like um, early on, I was involved in sexual encounters with other little boys. Those are some of my earliest memories at four and five and six years old and never talked to anybody about that. And then the pornography in my teens and my um, very strained relationship with my father, um, over-connecting with my mom and my sisters and with other girls, um, so much so that there were different times where friends commented on that. So within a week of going to this conference, I went to go see a counselor. I started finding books on the issue, and um, I also started attending a support group. Um, it was a step program based on Alcoholics Anonymous, but they had 14 steps, and um, very first night I was there, the step they talked about was we learned to believe that this was a false identity. And my life for a number of years had been trying to suppress this. You know, the question, am I gay? Am I gay? Is this who I am? You know, Time would have a magazine cover that would say born gay with a little baby on it. And, I, you know, I thought, is this who I am? And then the next week they talked about... Um, embracing our true identity as part of God's creation as male or female. And for me, that was life-changing. And um, that whole identity question was such a struggle for so many years. And then I realized, you know, well, if I'm not this, then what am I? And I had, I really did have to grow into my ma sense of masculinity and my manhood. And oddly enough, it was after I'd been going to the group for a couple of years that um, I developed a friendship with a guy in the group, and then that turned sexual, and we were hitting the the bars and the clubs at that time period. And um, then that relationship ended, and I started doing some scary stuff, you know, having sex with guys that I just met or picking up guys in clubs. And finally, I, I was depressed. I was um, distant from God. I didn't know what I believed. And I finally thought, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to the church or am I going to go whole hog into homosexuality? And I came to a point and I said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you even if these feelings never go away. And for me, that was a 
pretty significant turning point where I began to pursue healing in a different way. And it wasn't about trying to not be gay. Um, you ever struggle with any sin and try to not do that all the time? That's what you're focusing on is the sin. And so instead, I began to pursue relationships with men in the church. And I was going to a big church in um, San Diego at that point. And it was men in the church who came alongside me and Bible studies and accountability groups and friendships who just loved me where I was. I was cranky and prickly and angry and sarcastic and um, just coming off these relationships. And they probably knew something was going on. And it was those guys that I eventually began talking to about my struggles. And it was through those relationships and through counseling and some other means that God brought a great deal of healing into my life. Yeah, that's good. Um, Loann, you have a daughter who has announced to you at some point in time that she is bisexual. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on hearing that news for the first time. Was it something that she just sprang on you? Was this something that you noticed develop over time? Um, But talk to us about how she explained that to you, knowing clearly your belief in Jesus Christ, your your biblical, uh, you know, adherence to what the Bible says about sexuality. Uh, Tell us about that. Um, actually, it's been a journey that we've been on since she was in high school. In high school, she declared herself a lesbian, um, ended up at the point that she ran away, was suicidal, was admitted to a um, local hospital here for psychiatric care. And um, quite honestly, she's never recovered from all of that and what led to that. Um, we found out later she'd been raped. And so she has, like Jeff alluded to, she has a lot of underlying issues that, um, quite honestly, she's finally now being able to voice that she's never really dealt with those. And we're glad to see her getting help in that regard. But in regards to her, um, with the bisexuality, she didn't tell me specifically. She announced it on Facebook. And um, that was just a whole horrible um, from all sorts of sides giving their input lots of love for our family even though they weren't um, agreeing with it condoning it or anything and then they were just excoriated by those on the other side of it all and our other adult children told me said mom don't even look at it your heart will be crushed do not look and we have had some conversations. My my biggest was to her when we were talking about it, oh, I don't know, probably eight months ago. And I just told her, I said, can I just ask you a question that I don't know how to ask it, so I'm just going to come right out and do so. And she said, of course. And I said, how do you reconcile this and being married? And she's like, well, it's not like I'm acting on it. I said, well, then what makes you believe you are bisexual? And she's like, oh, well, I just I just love women as much as I do men. And I said, in the same way that you would. I said, I mean, you've got two daughters. You know, she's obviously um, not objected to, you know, that relationship. And I, at that time, I wasn't sure if it was the bisexuality or if she was going back to the lesbian or whatever. And that's when, you know, the whole thing came out. But she said, you know, I'm not going to act on it. And I said, well, I'm glad to hear that because you are married 
And, you know, so she's still holding on to some of those things that she knows is the truth. But yet some of the other, and I don't know how much is actually how she truly believes herself to be versus she's just so angry with so many things that have happened in her life that she is picking those things that she knows can cause the most damage to, quite honestly, those who love her most. And I don't mean that to be self-pitying at all. If anything, it's just, you know, our, our cries for her to just get whatever help she needs. If she lives this way the rest of her life, that is her choice. But I determined long ago, I will never give up hope on my child. And so that's why we do, even when it's hard to have those conversations, even when you're just like, oh, my word, I don't want to hide my child on Facebook, but part of me wants to hide my child on Facebook, you know, but it's just trying to meet her where she is to never let go of what I know to be true, but to also as much as I can to be the hands and feet of Christ to her, to be to her what Jesus was to Mary Magdalene. And to not be casting stones, because quite honestly, eight, ten years ago, I was casting stones. And the Lord's really had to work in my heart on that. And he's like, you're not going to get her by casting stones. You need to meet her where she is and be making sure that she knows how loved she is. And it's not based on her behavior. It's based on simply because she's your child. Yeah. Um, Glenn, I'd like to bring you in here because you are, for Focus on the Family, a, a researcher, an expert on family, marriage, gender. Um, clearly, as we've heard here with Jeff and, and Loanne talking about her daughter, these are personal stories. They affect real people. This isn't just a bunch of statistics. But at the same time, we're seeing in our culture, even in the church, kind of more um, uh, uh, the prevalence of this, the experimentation, the what, as you've studied and as you're out and about there, where, how would you describe this or how would you explain it as to where our culture has settled in talking about the issue of um, sexuality, uh, especially when it comes to um, homosexuality and, and transgender issues? Yeah, that, I mean, it's such a great, significant question. And I just, I mean, I'm, I, like, I got nothing on, on Loann and Jeff. I mean, their stories are, are just amazing. And they indicate real struggle. Your question of where are we in the church? Um, I always like to answer with a very definitive sort of research-based question. But I think the right answer to your question is, that is the question. I mean, we are like, this is the picture that I have. We're out in the middle of a storm-tossed lake, and nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows which way is up. Um, there's confusion. There's deception. There is, we're making it up as we go along. Um, I mean, you know, not long ago, it used to be, are you gay, straight, or bi, or whatever? Now it's, how do you feel today? You know, I mean, it the, the whole discussion has completely shifted mm -hmm. from how do you identify? How do you see yourself? How do you understand yourself? And so we've even gone from a sort of, you know, objective, are you this or that, to how do you feel today? 
And we have just massive confusion, massive confusion. And I really have to say, I mean, I am like you, Lisa. I mean, I'm not a charismatic at all. Um, and I don't lean in a charismatic direction, but it's almost as if it's a spirit today, just mm-hmm. a spirit yeah. that we're seeing in the culture that has descended upon us. Um, and so we as Christians, how are we going to navigate it? We need to navigate it, understanding it as a a spiritual sense in this age in which we live. Yeah. Um, and actually, Glenn, I do, depending on how hard my life is at any given moment, I get increasingly charismatic. Just so you know. <laughs> when, when I was caregiving for my mom, I was borderline Pentecostal, just so, just so you know. There were things I had to claim then that I didn't even know existed. So, but Lisa, the, it's funny as you say that. I'm thinking good charismatics are thinking, she really is charismatic. She gets it. Hey, I'm with them on that one, let me tell you. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I kind of want to, because again, I think maybe the person listening might be like, okay, well, that's all well and good. But isn't this like, where do, where does just personal identity and personal choice come into this? And what, you know, how, talk to us a little bit about how, um, you know, whoever wants to, how we talk about this and these issues in the context of God's design, but also acknowledging that the feelings and the experiences are very real. I had a conversation with our seven-year-old granddaughter um, earlier this summer, and she and I were talking about just the basics of how God made us, because she has some serious questions for a little, at that time, six-year-old. And I was just talking to her about, you know, how, um, because there's some gender identity questioning being put upon her, Um, But I asked her, I said, so, you know, we were going, well, tell me, is your grandpa, is he a boy or a girl? Well, he's a boy. Well, what about uncle so-and-so? Well, he's a boy. Well, what about your aunts? Well, they're girls. Okay. Well, what about me? Well, you're a girl. Okay. So if you know that they are boys and girls, how do you know that that what makes him a boy or a girl? Does because your grandpa, he likes to be the one to drive the car. Is that what makes him the boy? Or is it because I like to cook? That's what makes me the girl. No, no. And so we're trying to break away what some of those cultural impressions are of, you know, if you're a guy and you like the color pink, that you're questioned about your masculinity. And, you know, so I opened the closet and showed her, you know, well, he's got a pink shirt, (laughs) you know. But in the midst, I told her, I said, but you know what the really cool thing about how God made us is, is that if... If we would take away our skin and our muscles and our veins and everything that's under it, and we get down just to the bones, I said, our bones declare who we are as far as our gender goes. And so I pulled it up on my phone. I said, look at this. And I showed her the skeleton of a male. And I said, you see these straight bones right here? Those are his hips. They're straight as can be. I said, now look at the girls. And it has these curves. And so I point to myself and said, see, that's why I got this. Um, Those curves on the hips. That's just life. I said, but look at the middle of the curve of those hips. What shape do you see? She's like, that's a heart. I said, yeah. I said, do you know what goes there? She's like, what? And I said, that's where a baby grows. And God made it so that only girls can have babies. I said, so even down to our bones, it doesn't matter what we think or feel. 
It's what, what does God declare about us? And from that day on, at least with us, she's never had any more question about who she was created as, that she was created a little girl. And I was just, I'm, I truly think that was just a God thing right there for us to have that little conversation that we can have all kinds of feelings and we have to work through feelings, but our feelings don't determine. I said, because sometimes you feel like nobody loves you, but is that true? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, Lisa, um, if I can comment too, um, because that was a huge issue for me. Is this my identity? Am I gay? And I rejected it for so many years, but I didn't really know, okay, I have these feelings. I have these thoughts. Like you said, I've acted this way. Um, so what am I? Um, and one of the things I realized in just doing a lot, a lot of research on this issue over the years and a lot of teaching and talking about it is, um, that identity question is, um, one we're losing in the church. Mm. Um, you have major publishers and Christian groups um, where people work there and they're publishing books where they talk about being a gay Christian as if that were their identity. And the, the whole idea that somebody is gay, that that's like their essence or their being, that's a very recent construct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that whole language only developed since, you know, the 1800s. And then especially with um, the gay rights movement, it's, it's spread like wildfire. And there is a um, spiritual component to all this as well. There are entities out there that don't like us and um, influence the culture. But in Scripture, nobody's ever called a gay or a homosexual. It, it generally talks about actions. These are things people do, not who they are. And so for me, a, a huge part of healing was embracing who I am as God made me to be, like Loanne was talking about. This is my identity as a man. I'm a male. And and learning to embrace that and learning to appreciate and enjoy my masculinity. I mean, for so many years, I identified with girls, and I I thought I knew how women thought. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And um, as I got older and got some more healing, I realized that's really presumptuous. And I have no idea what they're thinking. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I was watching movies like He Said, She Said, and all the girls had the plot figured out before the end of the flick, and all us guys were clueless about what was going on there, you know. Um, I I didn't think like a woman, and I didn't understand them the way I thought they did. Um, But I had to embrace who I was as God made me to be. And so that identity question is huge, and it's a big one in the church right now. Yeah. So what would you say, uh, Jeff, you know, maybe uh, the other two of you can weigh in here, too. Um, What's the difference between struggle and sin then? Because I think when a lot of people bring identity into the picture, it's kind of like, well, the fact that I struggle, I don't like that. So I either need to disavow that or I need to, quote, get over it or I need to. So I think all of a sudden it's kind of like what you're saying. We're trying to patch together all these solutions but people aren't buying it. So how do we how do we move forward from that without completely just saying I'm going to shut down? It's a good question because um, some people do try to shut down their their sexuality. Um, that letter you mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, where you talked about what's the difference between um, sexual attractions and lust. You know, mm-hmm. well the reality is we're all broken, um, and so we all have this brokenness in us and. There are 
all kinds of conclusions and theological answers in the church all over the place on this issue. Some people say the attractions are a sin. Some people say they don't. I don't, I don't worry about all that. Um, for me, one of the biggest moments in my life was when I began to receive God's forgiveness. Um, I grew up conservative Christian, but I was um, envious of the Catholics because they could go to confession and then somebody could tell them your sins are forgiven. So I was at this conference, um, The Father Loves You, and it was more charismatic. And I was waiting for God to do something in me. Nothing happened all weekend. Um, Last evening of the conference, I went forward for prayer and I'm just standing there with my eyes closed and my hands out. And I heard a voice in my head say, your sins are forgiven. And then immediately afterwards, I heard this woman say that to me, your sins are forgiven. And I opened my eyes and I'm like, who who are you and where did you come from? And so I was just over in the corner. I felt like God told me to come tell you that. And it was the spirit and then her confirmation. I, you know, I was in a puddle at that point. Um, and and now I go to more liturgical church, and I I hate going to confession, but I also love it because there is such freedom in saying this is what I did, and I want to confess this and repent for, and turn from it. And so I, I I tend to focus more on actions and saying this is what I did, um, rather than feelings and thoughts. Although some people might say those are sins as well. And that's, I mean, that's a big, big point because we really need to come down to it is what are we? Okay, first, you're a human being. That is your identity. Two, there are two types of human beings. There are male human beings and female human beings. That's all science knows, you know? And the other part of this is, and and this is the big thing that you were talking about, Loanna, is there's 101 different ways to be a good man and objectively really a man. I can be a sports guy. I can love to hunt or I can have no interest in that whatsoever and still be a great man. I could, you know, you could be a woman and you can be a woman in a hundred different ways and you don't have to fit necessarily into these stereotypes. It's interesting. I mean, here we are at Focus. We're supposed to be the people that are so huge on these stereotypes. But yeah, no, I mean, there are some women here that they're the primary breadwinners for their family, and that's great. There are some men here that they do all the laundry in their house and all the cooking in their house, and that's great. It's up to them, and it's the way that God wired them. So we don't need to say, oh, gosh, this means I'm a whole different type of person. No, it just means you're a human being that is male or female, and you manifest that in different ways because of the unique person that God made you to be. Yeah, that's good. Oh, well, we, this is crazy. We're out of time. Um, But Jeff promised uh, before we began taping that uh, clearly he, and I know Glenn has too, some resources that we'd love to pass on to you. And we're going to link to those um, within the descriptors of this segment. And so uh, we'll make sure that we get some additional info in your hands. And of course, we're going to have to have these three back at some point because um, we want to talk through, and we have in the past on Boundless, the whole idea of like, okay, so how do we have these conversations at the coffee? shop in our own families in a, you know without being like full-on weirdos and so we're gonna 
<laughs> some of us are just weirdos because we're weirdos. But I mean, hopefully not. The world needs around. some. But, <laughs> very true. <laughs> so, um, but meanwhile, I think the conversation we did have um, really coming to those issues of identity and uh, and understanding that and, and the uniqueness of male and female are so good. So you guys, thanks so much for weighing in. Thank you, Lisa. Well, hey, everyone. Here we are for this week's culture segment. And a uh, little heads up, you're going to want to be here for this week and next week because this is going to be a two-parter. We are welcoming back our friend Jonathan Pakluda, otherwise known as JP. Hey, JP. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited to be on with you. Well, wonderful to have you. And uh, you have written another book. I mean, you're supposed to be pastoring down there in Texas, but apparently you just have time to be uh, typing away and, and putting books together in, in between everything else that's going on. So well, we, we get to take advantage of that. Well, you know, pastors only work on Sunday. So well, it's ba- I mean, basically a sermon's you know, an hour and a half, and then we base we can sit on our hands, and we don't really do much else. So that is very true, and fit in a potluck here and there uh, with church members, and you're pretty much good to go. That's so. right. Hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> Hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> okay, we'll give you credit for doing doing a little bit more. Um, but we have had you on the show in the past talking specifically about um, adulthood and and adulting and all the the transitions that happen, uh, moving like post college kind of into the young professional life. And of course, um, we knew you in your former life working up uh, outside Dallas in uh, Watermark Church. And now you're actually a lead pastor uh, down in Waco, correct? I've made it. I've made it. I'm a, you know, <laughs> yes. No, our family moved to Waco two years ago to be a part of a, a church here called Harris Creek and love Watermark. I talked with those guys this morning, love what God is doing in and through the porch and uh, and was thankful for the way that he used the book, Welcome to Adulting, but very excited about this resource called Outdated. Yeah. Well, uh, it is fun. And, and again, uh, actually, the book is Outdated, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed. And uh, this is something that clearly is right within Boundless's wheelhouse because people are always asking us about, like, Lisa... How do we date well? How do we date at all? Why didn't God say anything about it in the Bible? Why won't any guy ever ask me out? Um, so we're always trying to uh, shed some light and hopefully put a biblical lens on such topics, even uh, even dating. And so uh, this is kind of fun. I'm assuming the cover of this book, I'm assuming that's you and Monica when you were dating. Yeah, that's Monica, but- <laughs> me and, that's Monica and I in 1952. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. So you guys look very nice, very put together. I like that. Thank so you. Thank that you. is kind of fun. Um, okay, well, I appreciate the fact that in this book, even though you largely talk about dating and the process of prepping uh, for marriage in a very biblical manner, that you start off with addressing the issue of singleness, which, um, you know, it's kind of funny as I was as I was looking through this stuff, we just put up a... Um, 
a meme at Boundless, we had to contribute to the Bernie Sanders meme flurry. And so we had him sitting there and it basically said, when you're single and your church announces a series on marriage. I saw uh, that. I saw it. That was so great. (laughs) We had a lot of fun with that. That was James uh, on our team. He kind of had the meme and then I helped him with a caption, uh, helped him narrow it down. And so we had we had fun with it. And of course, uh, a lot of shares and stuff. But but it is I think it really struck a chord because people are like, uh, every time I go to church, it's like, you know, you think looking through your bulletin, you've got the family pastors, family conferences, family camp, family counseling, and the singles are like, hello, here we are. Um, and I like the fact that in the book, and I want you to speak to this a little bit, that you're really saying, you know, we feel like a lot of people are trying to set us up for marriage. And we here at Boundless are the first to say marriage is a great thing. It's for more, you know, it's for most people. Um, but how, you know, there there is a season for, some, you know, people are single, either they're going to be single for a short season or a longer season like myself. Um, but what would you say, what's the tension in the church about singles? Like, why is there so much angst? Why have we not quite gotten this right as far as telling the story of God's value of single people, both in the church and in the family, in the body of Christ? Yeah, you're kind to say that we haven't quite uh, gotten it right. I, I would say we, we, we've gotten it very, very wrong. We've made so much of marriage. We, we love to equip people for marriage uh, before marriage, during marriage. We have a divorce care after marriage. Like so much of the church focuses on that. And we, we, we say things like it teaches us about God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together the way that, that two people complement one another and, and um, how it's a mirror for your selfishness. And then we forsake this topic of singleness, which on, on a lot of levels, you know, one, it's unbiblical, but two, it's foolish for the church to do that because your, your single attenders are really the engine of the church. I mean, there's a reason why the greatest missionary of all time in the history of the world did not have a wife in, in the, in the, the height of his ministry. And then he says, in First Corinthians seven, I wish that many of you were as I am, but you know each person has a different gift, and he calls he calls obviously marriage a gift. He calls singleness a gift. They're both gifts, and and really he's just plagiarizing Jesus, who says the same thing in Matthew nineteen. He says there are those who 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 have to be celibate, but then there are those who choose to be celibate for the sake of the kingdom. And then Jesus says. Anyone who can accept this should. So he really heightens the call to singleness. Oh, by the way, he was single too, the most complete human being ever to walk the planet. And so there's there's something that we must do as a church to resource people in singleness, to see it as a gift like the scripture calls it, and and to allow them to use it. And I think for my single friends, you know, they, they're, they're trying to think, well, do I have the gift of singleness? And I, I've learned, Lisa, the ability over time to determine whether someone has the gift of singleness or not with really one simple question. <laughs> and it's just, are you single? <laughs> because if you if you are single, then you have the gift. Now, I don't know if you're going to have it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, but I know that you have it today and I know that it is a gift. And so the greatest thing that you can do is learn to use that gift and to go one step further. The church should help you learn to use that gift in the church. And where we haven't, that's a miss. Yeah, it's so interesting because I remember, especially 
um, in my 30s being super angsty about the fact that I was single and like, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do differently? How can I change this? And really coming to that realization of exactly what you said is that the only thing I know, I don't know if I'll be married next week, next year, whatever. I don't know if I should be doing something differently or, or whatever. I, I tell people like, um, hello, I host an international show for singles. I think I'm out there. Um, yeah. But I know that I'm single today and that's what yeah. I've got and that's what I have to work with. And so, yeah, I think that's very freeing uh, for singles to see that yeah. um, because I, you know, again, I think there's this, this script that we're getting and some of it is us talking. Some of it is the church and others of this singleness is kind of a waiting room for marriage. And it's like yeah. prepping you for being in this better state that is marriage and family. And I mean, hello, JP, I work for focus on the family. Okay. So yeah. um, <laughs> let's just be honest, but you yeah. actually, say in in the book you talk through like remembering your time as a single adult and really wishing if you could go back and do it again there are some things that you do differently tell us about that yeah it's one just that perspective change that it's not jv it's not waiting room it's not jv to marriage being varsity that it's just two different seasons and they're both good and they both have benefits and so as a single person when i became a christian as a single person i was able to you know go on uh, these international trips. I went to Brazil. I went to Haiti, uh, you know, went down a boat on the Amazon river for six days, got off, shared the gospel in villages, went to Haiti six times, went to Africa, got to teach the government there on conflict resolution. I was just like experiencing so much life. And then, you know, I got married and, and Paul says, you know, for a husband is concerned about his wife and it does, it changes your focus. It changes your concern. It changes your marriage. It's not that I can't be effective for the kingdom anymore, but my effectiveness for the kingdom has changed. And so there is something to seeing the season that we're in through the lens of the kingdom. What does God want to do through me? And what can I do today that I wouldn't be able to do if my Facebook status changed, you know, if my relationship status changed and begin to leverage that, you know, and, and really train for that in a way and not just train for marriage, but train to be a, a better version of a single person, you know, surrender more to Christ, allow the Holy Spirit to take more ground on our lives. Yeah. Well, and I don't think it's that you're saying like, you know, hey, singles, you know, take advantage of this opportunity because your life right now is really easy. I mean, a lot of single people, you know, clearly singles support themselves. They work. Hopefully they're involved in their church serving. Um, you know, me, I, I cared for my mom for two and a half years as a single person. So there's a lot of stuff that we can take on. But there are, to your point, unique opportunities. I mean, I don't have to decide what I'm doing this weekend and ask a spouse or figure out family schedules or do, you know, it, I really do have the freedom to just pick up and, and do what I feel I'm called to do and get some stuff done. And I think that is a, a luxury in some senses. So that's it's, good. Yeah, it's not not an issue of busyness and not even an issue of margin. It's an issue of the exact word you just used, freedom. So like if I'm preaching a sermon and I'm like, hey, guys, there, I just I just was contacted by the government and we're, we're going to fly some people that can do it to Syria and we're going to partner with the government there and, and we're going to advance the gospel and it's, we're going to push back darkness. It's going to be awesome, but you got to go right now and all of your needs are going to be taken care of. You know, there's there's going to be some some dads that are like, well, I got you know soccer practice, I got to do this thing, and 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 it's like who who can go? And that's why I say the church really needs to have the perspective that single adults and young adults 
in their congregation are, are a kingdom engine, not because they have all of this time, uh, only time and margin on their hands, but because they do have freedom. They can they can make decisions fast. They can react to things. They can move and, and uh, meet needs, and they're and they're well resourced. Yeah. Well, I think, too, um, you know, the freedom that we have as as single people, we have the freedom to rock out singleness while also being open to marriage. And I think that's a great thing. And I don't think this is like, you know, I often tell this to women. This isn't like, ladies, let's just hold up our Hello Kitty coffee mugs and be like militant about I'm single and I can take care of myself and I'm amazing and all this girl yeah. power business. But we, we can be interdependent with each other as believers and then marriage is a good step for for a lot of people and obviously it's it's biblical uh, it's all throughout the bible and so what um to that point i i like the point you make in the book and you say you know you've said to guys literally guys because i think there's this uh paralysis around dating of like i need to get all the facts before me before i can even do coffee with someone um i don't want anyone to think that maybe we're dating if we're not you know it just gets into this weird you know, like X-Files kind of situation. Um, And I like how you say in the book, you tell guys, like, literally, just pick the godliest woman you know and ask her on a date. Now, a lot of guys are already just nervous about that because they're like, well, how do I know if she's godly? What does that look like? How do I know? You know, what what about attraction? What about, you know, what would what would you say to them when they bring up resistance to that? Well, you know, it's something I've said for years, and it and the enemy, you know, we have an enemy, we have the accuser, he's a liar. And he loves to confuse us. He loves to play within our insecurities. And he loves to twist things. And so I think what it does with with guys is, is they, they get overcome with fear, paralysis by analysis, they don't know w- what to react to. But then with girls too, it creates insecurity. Well, if I didn't get asked out, I must not be godly. And that's, I mean, you're dealing with the human condition of sin nature. Uh, the, and so, I would say to the guy, what else are you going to base that decision on? Right. And so, you know, the Proverbs 31 30 says beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And it says beauty is fleeting. And so it's it's not saying that beauty is a bad thing, but it is saying that it's a changing thing, that it's leaving, that it's it's moving on. And and so I, I would say, you know, first Samuel 16, God says, I do not look at what man looks at. I look at the heart. And so I think for men, we need to begin to pray. Our prayer life around dating should be, Lord, make me attracted to what you're attracted to. Uh, I want to find attractive what you find attractive. And uh, and I, hopefully every believing Christian guy out there uh, knows of a godly woman. And it's, and it's the girl that you're like, man, I would love to hook my best friend up with her. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you ask her out? Like, what, what's your problem? <laughs> like, why wouldn't you go, go for that? And that's the, that's the epidemic that I see in the culture today, Lisa, is just guys are not taking initiative. Like they will not ask girls out. They are completely okay with apathy and video games and pornography and I know those are some general statements, and I'm obviously not talking about all men, but it is a it is a problem, a growing problem in our land, and and the and the girls have a part in it too, because what I hear from the guys is, well, the girls always say no. I ask them out, and they say no, and their standards are too high, and and I I think this is where the enemy's playing to you know um, where marriage rates are are way down, people are getting married less, and they're they're not lasting, and so there's. It's just the enemy's having a heyday. 
Yeah. I know you you referenced um, previously this uh, paralysis, you know, analysis paralysis kind of thing. And I think that plays into something else you address in the book. And this is this overarching weight that we put on compatibility. And it's like, you know, you can't be a young adult and talk to other young adults and not be talking about Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, um, random, you know, spiritual gifts. (laughs) And it's like, I've known people that have gone on dates and like put the papers in front of their date and are like, do this because I need to find out what your what your score is and stuff. Um, And you actually make the point in the book that none of us because of sin are fully capable of compatibility. And so why I mean, where do you I mean, I feel like this is coming out of the church, this idea of compatibility and workshops on it and stuff. What you know, what would you say is the fallacy in that? And where should we be going instead for really evaluating quality people to date? Yeah, so let's just think about this, that, that that dating, the topic at hand, is a relatively new idea. It's been around for about 120 years, so virtually non-existent before then. It really entered the English language as a euphemism for prostitution. I mean, that that's where, that's the origination of the word dating. And so today, dating, I'm not, I'm not, I kiss dating goodbye. I'm not saying dating is a bad thing, but I am saying, hey, we need to understand, like, we're, like this concept is new. And 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 so to go a little bit further, prior to dating or, or in the Bible, our primary example is arranged marriages. And there's still cultures today that practice arranged marriages. And I'm not advocating that culture as much as I am this idea that there is something to our friends and family saying, hey, you guys could 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 really work together and having the affirmation of our community and people around us. And so what we do is we've outsourced that to dating apps like Tinder or Bumble or swiping right or swiping left match.com where we're, you know, filling out, you know, like you said, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Enneagram, StrengthsFinder, anything to try to figure out, Hey, can we be together forever? And then we're not like marriage rates are at a low and, and the, it's most people fail at marriage. That's the reality because you have the divorce rate, whatever it is, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50%. And, and then you have the marriage discontentment rate on top of that people who stay married, but they're not happy. And so as you look at that and you're like, man, most people fail at this. And here's my point. We have more tools to help us in dating and yet we have the lowest satisfactory rates of marriage ever, we're doing something radically wrong. We're we're going about this completely the wrong way. So what I need is not more compatibility with someone. What I need is a perspective change. I mean, Monica and I, when we got married, we loved cruises and comedy clubs. That's what we, that was one of the things we had in common. We, we loved to go on cruises, our, our first, second year of marriage, and we'd love to go to comedy clubs. Today, my wife doesn't want to be caught dead on a cruise ship, and not just because of COVID, but, or, or go to a comedy club. Like our interests change. So if you base an entire relationship on your compatibility at the time, people, you know, all that sanctification means is change. For, a, for an individual. And so what we need in common is a right relationship with Jesus, a, a right um, perspective of God. And if we have that at the foundation, and then we're committed to verb loving each other, we're committed to caring for each other, then we can make this work. And just to put, you know, a, a graphic example on this, it's, it's just like if somebody goes on a honeymoon, and something really tragic happens, you know, they, they, they become a quadriplegic or something, or, or they, they get a disease 
and then you're spent the rest of your life caring for them, that doesn't mean you married the wrong person or you did the wrong thing, right? Their, their interests were forced to change by circumstance. And your call is the same, to love them as Christ loved the church, to lay your, your life down for them, to care for them. This is the biblical perspective on marriage. Yeah. And it seems to me that there's been such an overemphasis placed on um, a person finding, I mean, this is this is kind of cliche and a lot of Christians will poo-poo it like, oh, I'm not like that. But, you know, finding so much worth and identity in either the relationship or in the other person uh, to the exclusion of, oh my goodness, what am I doing with Jesus Christ? And, and yeah. almost kind of downplaying the need to yeah. um, be transformed by the gospel. And I think it's uh, tragic because I'm like, you know, here in our, even in our last couple of minutes here, I would love for you to talk through, uh, you actually put in the book, uh, the acronym CROSS, and you're talking about things to look for in a potential spouse. Um, you say controlled, responsible, obedient, serving, and steady. And as I was thinking that through that, I was like, yeah, I mean, honestly, if I bottled up all the guys that I've dated, all the relationships I've been in, and then my own self and what I have examined in myself, I'm like, if I am and find someone who is able to and willing to repent, confront myself and confront other, be, you know, that, that whole conflict thing, that whole repentance and being willing to restore relationships instead of keeping score, um, blaming all this kind of stuff. I'm like, wow, how far would we get not only in dating relationships, but in the church, if we started doing that. And I think that's kind of packed up in a little bit of this cross, uh, acronym in very yep. real qualities that we need. Um, you know, as, as you teach that maybe, you know, maybe just kind of overarchingly yeah. share a little bit about what is that what does that look like to go after that because clearly you're not going to sit down in front of a person and be like um please talk to me about your obedience level yeah. right now with christ yeah yeah everybody has a list you know it, it, whether it, it literally written down let me say this everybody who wants to get married has some qualities they're looking for and a lot of times in the world you know it's it's superficial it's well i hope she's not taller than me or i hope she has brown hair or blue eyes or, you know, his physical qualities. And maybe like, I hope she likes whitewater rafting or, um, <laughs> that and, is important. and I'm just, yeah, here's what I would say is, is take your list and just make sure that it's consistent with w what God's list would be for you, you know? And, and so the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that, that's really what you're looking for is that someone is yielded to the spirit of God. And so this acronym CROSS, that I want them to be controlled, I want them to be responsible, obedient, serving, and steady, all of that's going to come out of a right relationship with Jesus. So really, I don't need to find out if they're serving or if they're steady. I need to find out if they have a right relationship with Jesus and if they do, they're going to be serving somewhere in their local church, you know, as they grow spiritually, they're going to be steady as they rely on the spirit of God. They're going to be obedient and submissive to the Holy Spirit. They're going to be responsible and understand the weight of this world that we're here for just a minute. They're, they're going to be controlled by that Holy Spirit. So the, the big rock for me, it, you know, 2 Corinthians 6.14 did not be unequally yoked, which we kind of roll our eyes and like, oh, we know we've heard that a bunch of times. I would just say you, the, the most important thing is that you find someone fully committed to God through his son, Jesus Christ, yielding to his Holy Spirit. And if you find that person, they're going to be 
an amazing spouse for you, regardless of what their interests are. And that's going to be your compatibility secret because while two sinners, there is no compatibility between two sinners. Like we only repel each other. Uh, the, the spirit of God brings us together. And it's like, I'll just in, I'll wrap up with this and say, it's like in pre-marriage counseling, somebody told me, they were like, Hey, you guys need to stop pursuing Monica and I, they said, you need to stop pursuing each other and start pursuing Christ together. And I, you know, dry heaved. I'm like, okay, pastor, man, that's cute. You know, <laughs> did you learn that in seminary? But, but I look back on that moment and I'm like, that was prophetic. I mean, that's what did it for us is when we, when we pursued each other, it was these manic highs and manic lows. I love you. I hate you. We had no idea what we were doing, but when we started, we came together and we like, no, let's pursue a ministry. Let's build a ministry together. Let's pursue Christ together. We, we continued to grow closer and closer and closer and it made all the difference. And it's not that we don't have hard days in marriage. It's now we have all of the tools to endure the difficult days in marriage because we pursue Christ together. Yeah. Okay, well, we have got to continue this conversation. Um, I still want to talk about game playing in dating. I want to talk about this idea that um, when you find this person, you will just know. Um, A couple other things about the tactics around dating and how to actually nuts and bolts make it work. Um, So we got to do that next week. Are you willing to hang around? Yes, thanks for having me on, and I can't wait to be back. Okay. Well, folks, um, this book is outdated. Find love that lasts when dating has changed. It has not even dropped yet, but it will in just a few days. And so the good news is we want to make this book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So we have already got it. Uh, You just go to boundless.org. You can even uh, search for this episode, uh, actually, which is episode 682. And uh, you will see the book cover there. Just click on it. A gift of any amount, whatever you can afford. And we are going to send this book as our thank you to you. So make it happen. You will hear about this next week again. But uh, the book is outdated. And we will see you around next week. Well, hey, we get to open up this week's inbox, and uh, as we finish out the show, as we usually do, and we're sitting in the studio with Glenn Lutchens, one of our counselors. Hey, Glenn. Hi, Lisa. All right, so a good question this week, um, which kind of gets down to the issue of sex, which we deal with a lot uh, mm-hmm. here at Boundless. Our listener says, how can I distinguish between normal sexual attractions and desires, like in marriage, versus lust? Many of us men have struggled with lust to one degree or another. To me, it seems like even some strong sexual desires for wives can feel lustful at times. How would you explain the difference? 
Well, I think a, a big part of it is recognizing that God is the one who has created sexual desire. And kind of a way that I distinguish healthy, normal marital sexuality from lust is this. I, I, I use a, a model based on Psalm 119, verse 1, which says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The house is made up of various components. You have the foundation of the house, which would be compared to, in a sense, the Greek word agape, the, the word for love, unconditional love, the qualities in the other person, the qualities in the individual themselves, that creates a foundation for the house. The frame of the house, the word phileo, is the word that we use for uh, Philadelphia. It's, it's friendship love. It's companionship love. It's shared communication. The frame of the house rests on the foundation of the house. And then eros love would be compared to the roof of the house. That's what we would call romantic love. It's not sexual love per se, but it's that desire for the beloved. Once you have the foundation, once you have the frame, once you have the roof, then in marriage you can bring the furniture, the Latin word Venus uh, for sexual love. So really, a way of, of seeing lust is when I back the moving van of furniture up to an empty lot and put it on the empty lot, but there's no house. There's no, there's no covenant. There's no commitment for that to be. Now, there may be some other issues that uh, a person may struggle with. There can be sexual addiction. There can be pornography issues that are important to address. But as far as the desire for the beloved, if, they're, if it's based upon that foundation of those other three loves, then sexual love becomes what God intended it to be. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've often heard it described as well, even by some of our um, boundless authors and stuff, uh, bringing kind of to the point of another good self-check is the idea of like, is this, are you acting entirely selfishly? Like many can, you know, will say like, well, what? And that's what we see with pornography and with mm -hmm. others. I'm doing this for my needs, my wants, my feelings, rather than a reciprocity or any mm -hmm. kind of mutuality of giving as well. And I think for believers, especially, we have to keep that in mind. Well, that's where Philippians two four comes into play. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest. It uses the word others. Obviously, if we're applying it to this, we're talking about one's spouse. Mm -hmm. And so that importance of sacrificial love as well. Yeah. But uh, the word lust actually in the New Testament is used both with positive regard talks about Jesus earnestly desiring to be with his disciples, uh, and it's used in a positive way, way there. Generally speaking, though, when the word is used in the New Testament, it's really in a negative sense as far as uh, an inappropriate desire for something when it's out of bounds. Mm, yeah. Well, good thoughts um, on that. Thanks so much, Glenn, for, for weighing in on that. We appreciate it. All right. Well, that is it uh, for this week's show. And, you know, once in a while, I always put out a shout uh, to our folks to hop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. If, in fact, you're listening to the show and enjoying it, whether you're a new listener, whether you've been around forever, um, we love it when people leave great reviews because that enables other people to find us and start listening and write into us and be like, hey, I'm here, too. And so uh, that's always a great thing when we see that happening. So uh, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and go from there. Uh, otherwise, I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.